With all that's happening today in Israel and the Middle East, you should be reading Israel My Glory magazine. If you're not already a subscriber, you can get a one-year free subscription of timely, insightful articles on trends that affect Israel and the Christian world. Visit foiradio.org to subscribe. Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover, and with me is our host and teacher, Chris Katulka. For the past few weeks, Israel has been celebrating its 70th birthday, 70 years since the day they declared their independence on May 14, 1948. A common misconception about the modern state of Israel is that it was born out of the guilt of the Holocaust, the idea being that the nations of the world were sorry for not acting fast enough to save the 6 million Jewish people who lost their lives by the hands of the Nazis. But this is simply not true. Steve, I have read and heard time and time again that Israel exists today only because of the Holocaust. That's why on today's program, it's all about two major events that paved a way for Israel's independence decades before Hitler even came to power. And then later on, we're going to put the Holocaust in its right place because it did play an important role in helping the newly formed Jewish state get off the ground. But first, the news. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu took center stage late last month to show the world that Iran has violated the terms of the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, which is the JCPOA, or better known as the Iran deal. Netanyahu believes he has evidence that Iran withheld information of their past nuclear ambitions, which is a breach of the nuclear deal. Well, here's my take. Iran isn't governed by political leaders who wish to ally with Western countries or Western ideals. They remain, even after the Iran deal, the leading state sponsor of terrorism around the world. So what makes someone think Iran's going to curb their nuclear ambitions for good when they are still terrorizing the world? President Trump calls the deal bad, Netanyahu calls the deal bad, and I call the deal bad. It's time to pressure Iranian leaders over terrorism the same way we've pressured North Korea, who has recently agreed to make peace with their enemies and to end their nuclear ambitions once and for all. On May 14, 1948, a momentous moment happened in world history, and I would even argue a momentous moment in redemptive history. The Jewish people declared their independence, that the dry bones of Ezekiel chapter 37 started to rattle. And as the prophet spoke, Ezekiel, he says this, there was a sound when I prophesied, I heard a rattling and the bones came together, bone to bone. And as I watched, I saw tendons on them, then muscles appeared and skin covered over them from above, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are all the house of Israel. The prophet Ezekiel envisioned a day when the Jewish people living in diaspora would one day return to their ancient homeland, and their ancient promise given to them by God through Abraham would one day be realized. Well, years ago, when I was attending Dallas Theological Seminary, I, I was having lunch with the late Dr. Dwight Pentecost. And if you don't know that name, Dr. Pentecost was Distinguished Professor of Bible Exposition Emeritus, one of the only two honored. And, and he taught at Dallas Seminary for almost 60 years. So before 1948, Dr. Pentecost uh, taught that one day 
Israel would become an independent state according to the scriptures. And I asked him during our lunch, what did you feel the day that you heard the Jewish people declared independence? And he told me that he was driving in his car on his way home from teaching a Bible study. And he turned the radio on and he heard the news that David Ben-Gurion declared Israel's independence. And the only thing that he could do was pull off to the side of the road and just listen in amazement. All the prophecy about Israel that he had been teaching his people was coming to fruition. God's word was coming to life right before his very eyes. And the way he described that moment for me, even as a 90-year-old man, was as if it happened yesterday. But you know, often whenever I hear people talking about the creation of the state of Israel in 1948, I'll hear them say that Israel was created because of the Holocaust. People that assume the Holocaust created Israel believe that the the guilt that the world felt toward the Jewish people caused them to concede to whatever wishes post-Holocaust Jewish people had. Now, I can see how easy it is to make that connection. The world remained absolutely silent for many years while Jewish people were forced into ghettos, concentration camps, and gas chambers, murdered by the millions, and so to make up for the silence the world gives them Israel. I can see it, but that's not what history shows. I want to challenge that very simple assumption. I do not believe the Holocaust created the state of Israel. I believe it plays a role, but it's not the main reason Israel declared independence in May of 1948. Now, I could take you back to the late 1800s when Theodore Herzl established the first Zionist Congress, gathering Jewish people from all around the world with one goal in mind, to create a Jewish state in the land of Israel. But instead, I'm actually going to encourage you to go to our website, foiradio.org, because I just dedicated an entire episode to Herzl and the influence he had on creating the state of Israel 50 years before 1948. So let me take you actually to two major events that gave way to a Jewish state that's not connected at all to the events of the Holocaust. The first is the Balfour Declaration. The World Zionist Congress between 1900 and 1917 worked to establish a legal, a legal precedent for establishing a Jewish state. And then after World War I, the Ottoman Empire, who controlled the lands of Israel, Lebanon, and Syria, was eventually defeated by the Western powers. And the British were the ones who took control of the land of Palestine. It would later become known as the British Mandate, when, when Britain took control of the land that is now known as Israel. The foreign British secretary, Sir Arthur Balfour, drafted what's called the Balfour Declaration in 1917, not long after the Ottoman Empire fell. And the Balfour Declaration reads like this. His Majesty's government's view with favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people and will use their best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this object. It's been clearly understood that nothing shall be done with which may prejudice the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine or the rights and political status enjoyed by Jews in any other country. This document 
was one of the first official documents from a major world power to give permission for the Jewish people to establish a homeland in Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, in 1917, almost 15 years before Hitler even came to power. Did you hear it? When, when Sir Arthur Balfour says that it's the British government's endeavor to, to view in favor of the idea that the Jewish people would have a national home in what is Palestine, which would later become Israel. And, and to give you an idea of how much weight the Balfour Declaration carries in creating the state of Israel, just within the past few weeks, Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas demanded that the United Kingdom apologize for the Balfour Declaration, calling it sinister. But the British Foreign Office recently replied to Abbas saying, the Balfour Declaration is a historic statement for which Her Majesty's government does not intend to apologize. We are proud of the role we played in creating the state of Israel. The task is now to encourage moves toward peace. Do you see, my friends, how powerful the Balfour Declaration was? Written years before Hitler even came to power, gave permission for the Jewish people to establish a homeland, and it's powerful enough to upset the Palestinian leadership even a hundred years later because it revealed that the British government's goal early on was to give the land of British Palestine to the Jewish people. And the Balfour Declaration became the foundation for other world powers to reach the same agreement. In April of 1920, less than three years after Sir Arthur Balfour drafted the Balfour Declaration, the United States, France, the United Kingdom, Italy, and Japan met in San Remo, Italy. And during their talks, the Allied powers that defeated the Ottomans gathered to continue their conversation from the Paris Peace Conference. And the United States was only a neutral observer. On April 24th, the Allied powers agreed to adopt the Balfour Declaration in which the British who controlled what is now Israel would work to establish a Jewish state. All of the world powers agreed that what Balfour and the British government came up with was good enough for them as well. The word spread of what was agreed upon at San Remo, those Jewish people who had been working for decades toward creating a Jewish state rejoiced. The Times wrote this on April 26 of 1920. The news that Great Britain is to have the mandate for Palestine and the decision to incorporate the Balfour Declaration in the Treaty of Peace with Turkey will be received with intense gratification by Jews in all countries. It means that at last, after 20 centuries, the Jews will begin the work of reestablishing their ancient homeland under a stable and civilized government. I love this last section here. The wandering Jews will at last have a home. I hope I've been able to show you that to assume that Israel was created only because of the Holocaust is too simple of an answer. The Zionist Jewish community had been working diligently for decades to accomplish the goal of finding a homeland 
for the Jewish people. And if you notice, they didn't do it by stealing land from the Palestinians, as many people would have you believe. They didn't march into Israel and plant the Israeli flag down and say, now this is ours. No. Instead, they diplomatically worked for nearly 50 years, connecting their hopes and aspirations with countries from all around the world. They were legally given that land in agreement given to them by the world powers. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the Holocaust played no part. There is no doubt countries felt sympathetic towards the Jewish people after six million of their people had been systematically exterminated. And even though I don't believe the Holocaust was the only reason for the creation of the state of Israel, I do believe it played a major role in launching Israel after they declared independence. So to hear more about that, be sure to stick around after the break. For years now, politicians have been arguing that the only chance for peace between Israelis and Palestinians is a two-state solution. Israel remains a sovereign state, and the Palestinians reserve the right to create a state of their own. It's only then, when the Palestinians forge their own destiny, that peace will finally come between the two parties. That message has been status quo for decades, and yet even today, there is an even deeper divide between the Israelis and Palestinians. So what can be done? Carolyn Glick, senior contributing editor of the Jerusalem Post, has written a book to challenge the status quo of the two-state solution. The book is called The Israeli Solution, a one-state plan for peace in the Middle East. This book challenges the conventional thought on how to bring peace between the Israelis and Palestinians. You can get your copy by visiting our website, foiradio.org. That's foiradio.org. Or you can call us at 888-343-6940. That's 888-343-6940. I just returned from speaking at a Bible conference in Canada a few days ago, and while I was there, I met a Holocaust survivor who after being liberated from the Allied forces in 1945, eventually made her way to Israel. Now, if, if you look at Israel today, 70 years after it declared independence, it's a country that's full of optimism. It's a culture that's rooted in opportunity, that's born out of adversity. They are a people who make the deserts bloom. But if you would have gone to Israel 70 years ago in 1948, you wouldn't have thought the same thing. The Holocaust survivor I met told me that when she arrived, there were no jobs. Immigrants were flooding into the new state, and finding food to eat was difficult. Chaim Tzabag, a Holocaust survivor who arrived on the shores of Israel in 1947, said this, Moving to Israel was very difficult. We ate only pita and drank water. We worked long hours, and we were constantly in fear of Arab attacks. Israel of 1948 and Israel of 2018 are vastly different experiences. While the Holocaust didn't create the Jewish state, it did help the newfound country survive 
in two major ways. First, the Holocaust forced many immigrants to move to Israel early on. Highly educated Jewish immigrants, doctors, lawyers, professors, musicians, who lost everything in the Holocaust, stripped of their dignity by the Nazis, found themselves immigrating to Israel for freedom, only to pick up a weapon after the Holocaust to defend their newfound state. I don't think most people know about that. Many of the fighters in the War of Independence were Holocaust survivors. After enduring the Holocaust, now they had to endure war for their own freedom. Listen, many of these Holocaust survivors would have probably never immigrated to Israel if the Holocaust had never happened. They had been established in their communities for a very long time. They were integrated into their various cultures across Europe. Yet after the Holocaust, they were forced out of everything they knew to attempt to build anew in Israel. Now, if you remember, I said that the Jewish people were stripped of everything they ever had, property they owned, money, assets, everything was lost. According to Tomer Kleiman, Israeli political leaders communicated with the United States and England about receiving reparations from Germany. Dr. Chaim Weizmann, the president of Israel, sent a letter in September 20th of 1945 to allies for a restitution of $8 billion. The $8 billion amount was a number estimated as the amount that the Jewish people lost and were stolen by the Nazis. All of their homes, jewelry, art, and compensation for materials damaged to the Jews as a nation. They wanted this money because of all the things that the Nazis stole from the Jewish people. And, and in his letter, Weizmann stressed that the collective claim of the Jewish people as a whole will be used for the rebuilding of Palestine as a Jewish national homeland. The problem was this. Germany had no money, and Israel had no money. Germany offered to give Israel 10 million Deutschmarks worth of German goods. Talks continued, which eventually led to the first German-Israeli conversation. Germans and Jews talking with one another less than a decade after the Holocaust. They agreed that they needed each other, Germany and Israel. Israel needed Germany to help provide economic stability, while Germany needed to repair its name that had been dragged through the mud by Hitler. Germany offered to help Israel by giving $800 million over a 12-year period. And this helped Israel get their feet on the ground economically during a very difficult time in the infancy of the state. So as you can see, the Holocaust did have a major effect on launching the newly created Jewish state. So the next time you hear someone say, the state of Israel was created out of the Holocaust, you, you've got to let them know that that's just not true. The Jewish people have been working diligently for years to see their ancient homeland revived long before Hitler was even a thought. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life and ministry of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalischer. Deuteronomy 20, verse 1 says, Do not be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you. Here in Israel, we live in the light of this promise day by day as we face Scud missile attacks from Iraq. 
we are sure of God's protection. Therefore, we can sing confidently the words of our national anthem, Hatikva. Even with missiles being dropped on us nightly, people continue their daily routines with high morale because they know God has said, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. Although most of our people do not believe in Messiah, they do trust in the promises of God to his chosen people. There are, however, many new immigrants in Israel, especially from the Soviet Union, who do not know the promises of God since they have lived all their lives under communism. As soon as they arrive, the ultra-Orthodox try to convert them into their fold of Judaism. They tell the emigres not to have any contact with Christians, but truth ultimately conquers. I consider it an obligation to comfort such people with the word of God, and I am thankful the Lord has enabled me to speak their language. When I first talk with a new emigrant, it's not with warnings but in the spirit of friendship. And then we can be open with each other, and I can share my faith. Initially, the emigrants are surprised to find a Jewish person who believes in Christ, especially in Israel. One emigrant told me, It is impossible for a Jew to praise the name of this one whom Jews have hated through the centuries. I replied, I have heard many say this. You have been brainwashed against believers from the moment you stepped off the plane. But if you read the Jewish scripture for yourself, you will understand how to have true faith in God. I do not have with me any of the old commentary books, no stories, no traditions. But if you want it, I will give you a Bible in the Russian language, and then you can make your own decision about God. Even though the immigrants have been instructed to stay away from believers, they are independent and want to make their own decisions in their new land. Of course, some are skeptical. Some have asked me if believers in the Lord are against the Jewish religion. I responded, I'm not against any religion if it is in accordance with the Bible. But I am sorry to say most of the people of Israel are far from being the holy people to the Lord your God that he has instructed them to be in Deuteronomy 7.6. I only want to help you find the Lord your Savior. Then you will truly be his chosen people. These immigrants were very moved by our conversation. They said they had learned more in one hour than they did during several days of instruction from their assigned guides. I pray the Lord alone will be their guide and lead them into His truth, which alone will make them free. Finally, during these difficult days, I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Thank you for joining us today. Chris, as we close, I was thinking, we've spent a lot of time talking today about Israel's beginnings, but does it really matter if people think that the modern state of Israel started as a result of the Holocaust? Yet, 
I think it matters to understand the origins of how Israel was created because you either understand that they came out of diplomatic relationships with the countries of the world, the leading powers of the world, or you look at them as a state that was uh, uh, born out of guilt. I think it's better to understand Israel as a state that was created because of the hard work of Zionists that wanted to see a free Jewish people in their homeland. That's excellent. Really insightful, Chris. Thank you. If you have not subscribed to Israel My Glory, you can get a full year at no cost. Visit foiradio.org. There you can find the book we mentioned earlier, The Israeli Solution by Carolyn Glick. Again, visit foiradio.org to learn more. Our host and teacher is Chris Gatolka. Today's program was produced by Tom Gallion, co-written by Sarah Fern, engineered by Bob Beebe. Mike Kellogg read Apples of Gold. Our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong. I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people.